Good morning. It's so good to see you today. We are starting a new series today called 2020 Vision Clarity. Months ago, I thought I was so clever coming up with this 2020 vision concept. And now as we get closer to 2020, it's like everybody's clever. Everybody has this going. Some of you said, hey, you got to do vision, uh, a talk on vision, 2020 vision. I said, yeah, I, I got it. And, uh, and so that was uh, kind of an interesting, it's like, forget clever. Let's just become clear. How's that? But here's the one problem with that. I had in mind months ago that for 2020 vision clarity, it was going to be like a church State of the church address. Here's where we're going. This is really clear. Let's get pumped. This is what's happening. Just one problem. It wasn't clear to me. <laughs> and as I got closer and closer and closer, things were shifting and changing, and the details are in such a way where it's like, oh, we're not ready to get into the details of this. So let's focus on what is clear. And so today's message is going to be more personal rather than institutional. More about you, which is the church, and less about uh, the organization. And maybe you're applauding that because that's going to be great for you. And I applaud that as well. This is going to be great for each of us as we gain more clarity for our lives. Here's something that's very clear to me. It's always been clear to us, and especially as we shifted into this clarity and God made it clear to us, this is what our church is all about. Our church is all about helping all of us take steps from wherever we are to where God wants us to be. But we just came through a series called Habits, and now we're starting this series, which is kind of odd one, by the way. The first one in this series is today. The second one in this series is going to be March. <laughs> Next week is football Sunday, and we're going to have a real big outreach thrust, and that's good. And then we're going to go into a relationship series, and then we're revisiting this series and coming back to it in March. And this is going to be a really important series for us, but we're beginning today. Now, from wherever we are to where God wants us to be, that's clear, but sometimes we put it through a filter and it becomes unclear. For example, we finished the series on habits, and we're all working on wherever we are to where God wants us to be, but some of us, we filter it in such a way, wherever we are to wherever we want to be. And there's a little difference there. In fact, it's a major difference there. And so we want to bring it back down to a clearer focus. Now, to get at this, I want to talk a little bit about vision. A uh, long time ago, I won't go into how long because I don't actually know, some of you... Notice this, before I noticed this, that when I was reading the scriptures, I was, I was reading along and year by year, and then eventually you noticed it, I was doing this, because I was having a hard time seeing the words, and when I started to misread the words, some of you said to me, you need glasses, and it's like, really? Yes, that's why you're... you're, you're and you know what the problem was? I didn't need glasses. My arms were too short. And so, but glasses were easier to fix. So I got a hold of some glasses and things became clearer. In that time frame when I was learning about glasses, I'd never had them before. And if you've never had glasses before, never needed glasses before, glasses are a big pain. Um, now, if you've always needed glasses, glasses are your life and you absolutely love your glasses. Without your glasses, things are pretty blurry. But for me, at that time frame, I was kind of lamenting the fact and only wearing them when I had to wear them. I had friends like that too. And I was out to dinner one time with these friends. 
And I had one friend who did something really strange. And I was looking at him, what are you doing? He took his fingers, he's pinching his forefinger and his thumb together, and pinching his other forefinger and thumb together, and he's holding it up to his eyeball and looking through this teeny hole. And I said, what are you doing? He says, I forgot my glasses. And that, that just didn't register. What? I forgot my glasses. He was taking a little pinhole and putting it up to his eyeball, and he could read the menu through the pinhole that he couldn't read without the pinhole. I said, does that really work? He says, try it. And I did. Oh, my. I don't need glasses. All I have to do is look really weird and hold up. Every time I try to read, do this and look through a pinhole. Now, you should try this. I don't know why it works, but it was so weird. It worked. In fact, it doesn't just work for old eyes. It works for young eyes, too. And so the children's department, they printed out uh, a script in two-point font. Little tiny, tiny stuff that I can't even see through the pinhole. But anyway, they were using the pinhole today to see how they could read through the pinhole where they couldn't read with their own eyes. So this brings us to an important point. It's a point about fixing our focus to gain clarity. If you fix your focus through a narrower frame, you actually gain, gain more clarity. Here's a little bit about that concept as it might relate to you. It's from another church. I'd like you to see the screen. There is power in our words, even just one word. Here at Life Church, we have a concept that we've been doing for several years now in which we as a staff member, we pick one word to set the scene for our entire year. Will you kind of talk us through the why behind that and why that's so powerful for our teams? Yeah, I remember when Pastor Craig talked about this many years ago, and the concept was you can have 10 goals, and you you probably won't accomplish very many of them. And then does your life really look different at the end of the year? Well, most of the time not. But if you'll take one word and you'll focus on it the whole year, you will see change in your life because you put your focus in one word. And then you fast forward year after year after year, your life looks drastically different because you focused year after year after year. And so that's kind of how it started. And every year, as an individual, uh, you know, just pick one word to focus on. So for me, this year, my word is maximize. And I've just asked God, God, you know the gifts that I have. You know the skills that I have. Maximize those to meet your uh, need, your glory, to bring you honor. Uh, what can I do for that? What I don't know about you, but for me, God continues. He shows up in helping me pick that one mm. word. But my word for the year is small. So just making small, deliberate changes. But all throughout the year, there's just this reminder of God's presence through that one word. Talk to me a little bit about what does that selection process look like for you? How intentional are you about seeking God for what is that one word? Yeah. So the way that you talked about it is how it happens to me. I remember where I was driving on the highway. Mine was on the road too when it came to me. And God just said, maximize. I was like, okay. So you do have to go through a process. You have to take some assessment of yourself. What's going on in your life? What are things that are going well? What are things that need to get better? And you just start to ask God to show you what you need to focus on. And you just have to be sensitive to where God's leading you. And you may have to look up 
synonyms or dive into the the source and just find a word that connects with what God's speaking to you and one that connects with you as well. And then uh, you just own it for that year and allow God to use it to remind you that this is an area that you can grow in and get better at. That's really good. I know for me, I go to scripture first Mm -hmm. to look for that word. I'm very reflective. Journaling is so beneficial for me just to pour out my heart and just to center me on what God is speaking and showing to me personally. I turn to scripture, but a great place for me to find that one word too are worship songs. Hmm. And having myself use that song to remind me of what that one word is throughout the year. I tell you what, he will show it to you in so many different ways. You just have to be open to hear it. Consider picking one word this year for you personally or for your team and see the power of what God does through one word. This takes a little bit of time. I don't expect that you go, oh, my one word is this. It takes a little time to come up with your one word. I I love the fact that in the video, one person's word is maximize and the other person's word was smalls. So it's very personalized. It's not uh, one word fits all. Uh, But we all went through a a time frame in November and there was a a one word focus that just shifted things inside of me. It really made a difference for me. Maybe it did for you too. And it was the little preposition, the word for. You remember that? In November, it was all about for the Verde Valley, that we have been loved by God, and we were far from God, and enemies of God, and and opposed to God, and self-centered, and he loved us, and he was for us, and he gave Jesus for us, and so we are to be for others. Now, that really shifted some things for me. I I would look at people like, oh, wait, I'm for them. If they're angry at me, I go, oh, wait, I'm for them. If they're an enemy of mine, wait, I'm for them. And to try to figure out how to allow the love of God to come through me and be for people. That was like a clarifying one word shift in a worldview for me. And so you're looking for what is it that God has for you in one word. Now, I have one word for 2020. If I have time today, I'll share the one word for me. And it's going to affect you because uh, the one word will bring focus to me and it'll come through. Okay, so it'll affect you. But I'll hopefully have time to share that a little bit later. Right now, I want to, again, ask the question, so what is this huge difference between wherever it is that we want to be versus wherever it is that God wants us to be? It's this taking a step there. And so, again, I'm coming back to things that are clear to us. We have did something very interesting over this past year as a lead team. We used to have uh, eight core statements, so we added one, and now we have five. I know, it's not new math. It's, we took a couple of them away also to bring clarity of focus to us as a church. And your outline today will be the outline today but it'll also be outlined two times in March, and it won't change because these are our five core statements, but we're only going to focus on the first core statement, which is the one that brings clarity and focus to all the other four, and the first one is about all of them, and so we need to figure out how we actually get to the place where God wants us to be. I think this brings clarity to it a little bit, and I'm going to talk about that today. Point number one. Love God wholeheartedly. Love God wholeheartedly. Now, before you assume you know what that means, let me just say this. 
It does not mean that in order for God to love you and accept you, and in order for you to get to heaven, you need to shift your thinking and love God wholeheartedly. No, that's not what I'm saying. And the Apostle John made it clear this way in 1 John. He said, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Our loving God wholeheartedly is not our effort to get into heaven. God sent his son to do that for us, and he sent his son into our lives because he loved us so much, he's going to get us into heaven, but he does something bigger than that, he gets heaven into us. And because he gets heaven into us, now everything changes inside of us so that our response can come out of the flow from him into us, washing us clean and coming right back to him. And we need to talk about that concept because it's so huge of a concept. So we're going to back up in time, centuries before Jesus, and review a prophecy that was cryptic and missed by the Jewish people. And rightly so, you would, you would not understand, maybe it's metaphor, maybe it's, what is he getting at? I don't really get it. And so we're going to look at what this is all about. We're going to be in Ezekiel, and it's, I'm going to put it on the screen for you, Ezekiel. 36, starting at verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. He's speaking to the nation of Israel that is are in exile. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. So this is finally some hope. The prophet has been just hammering them and telling them that they need to shape up. And yet, here's the hope that's coming that he's describing. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. Would you say that out loud with me? I will give you a new heart. One more time. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you or remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you. Will you say that? I will put my spirit in you and move you. Now let's go slower and let's say it again. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This changed everything. But they didn't know it yet. And it was about the future and how this would change everything. Up until this point, they're trying to obey the Mosaic law that said you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And they're doing their best to do that. They're trying so hard and they are failing. They failed and failed and failed and failed. Now they have a religious system that's set up to take care of the failure. They're supposed to go back to the temple. They're supposed to take their sins before their God and have God atone for their sins through the sacrificial system. They have a mediator through a priestly system for the priest to mediate between them and God. They're at odds with God, but the priest is going to bring them back together because they are not holy and God is. And here's a sacrifice to cleanse you and purify you. Now go back and do better. Try harder. It's a religion approach. And God is saying there's coming a time when the old covenant religion approach is going to be completely 
gutted into a completely different approach. It's going to be a, a relationship approach, and it's not going to be from the outside in. It's not going to be from trying harder. It's going to be from the inside out. I'm going to remove your hard heart, and I'm going to put in it a heart that's soft to me. And I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to place inside of you my spirit to move you. This changes everything. And some of us haven't got this yet. We're still approaching God as if it's a religion. We want to please God, so we're trying so hard to please Him. We're trying so hard to love Him. We're going to do better. We're going to do better next time. We keep coming to Him with our heads down, and we say, I'm going to try harder next time. Help me. And we come to Him with this shame, guilt, approach, doing the best we can with the religion we've got to add God into our life and make sense out of our life, to bring clarity to the mess that's all muddled in our lives. But I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws as a completely different approach. And so once this actually takes place, inside there's a change that takes place that's not explainable by trying harder. It's not explainable by self-help. It's not explainable by I need to work on my habits and get better at this. It's explainable in a new way. And so it is a response that might look a little bit like this quote on the screen. It is like we see ourselves clearly for the first time. I am a sinner. I need a savior. You, God, are holy, and I am not. I was self-centered, self-gratifying, self-absorbed. I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't even know that I didn't know. And now, because of his spirit in you, you see yourself as like, oh, my I didn't know that's what I was doing, but that's exactly what I was doing. And we need to figure out what that looked like before. And once everything changes, what it will look like now. Jesus put it this way. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, when he says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, I mean, if you talk about all the commandments, it's the, I didn't count them, but the, according to the Jewish people who counted all the commandments in their old covenant, it was 613 commandments. All 613 commandments get filtered through this tiny, tiny viewport, this pinhole that says once you turn things around and love is inside of you, you're going to see this clarity that comes through you where everything makes sense when you love God with all that you are. And you now, because you've received love, you're able to love with the love that you received. And all the rest will fall into place. So what does it look like if this truly was to take place? 
First, let's talk about what it looks like when it's not quite there yet. It looks like this. We're busy approaching God's word and trying to figure out, my life's a mess, my life's a mess, I need to fix my life. How do I do that? And we're looking, we say, okay, I need to do this, I'm going to try that. And then we look some more and say, God, I need you in my life. Now, most of the time, it doesn't happen until you're on your merry way, you trip, you fall into a hole, you're crying out, oh man, I'm messed up, I don't know what to do, things are really messed up. So we go to God then, God, I need your help. Please help me. I'm, my marriage is messed up. My life is messed up. I'm fearful. I'm scared. I'm depressed. I'm messed up. I can't get rid of this sin. It's got me. Help me, God. Help me. And we look to God, and we look to God, and we're trying to add Jesus to our life. We are on the throne of our lives, and everything's starting to get out of order, so we say, God, I can't seem to make sense out of it. Everything's blurry. Everything's a mess. I need you. Would you help me to get this right? Folks, this is still religion, because we're adding God to our life. He hasn't taken out the heart of flesh and given us a heart a heart of stone, given us a heart of flesh and inserted into the heart of flesh yet his spirit. We're trying to do it by grit and by golly and by religion and by effort. I just need to learn this. I just need to work harder. I just need to make this my habit. And we still have a lack of clarity, a lack of freedom because Jesus is somebody we go to only when we're in trouble. And we're just adding him to my kingdom. God, would, would you bless my kingdom? Would you make my kingdom better? My kingdom's not working. My kingdom's in a mess. I just, everything in my family's messed up. Everything in my life's messed up. I need you, Jesus. And we need to change our approach. So what does it look like if we truly loved God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. And Luke says with all of our strength, which includes all of our body. What would that look like? Well, it literally looks like a change in a house where Jesus changes everything and he starts moving furniture. This is part of the illustration. I used to be on that throne. I was self-centered, self-absorbed, self-gratifying, and I didn't even see it. People around me saw it. I had it together. I'm right. I'm doing okay. God, where I'm not doing okay, help me. When you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind... That means you get off your throne of your life. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Would you be the center of my life? You have center stage. I'm getting off of center stage. I want my life to be about you, not me. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's not about me. It's not about now. It's about you. It's about forever. And we invite God into our life. And he takes center stage. 
And when this first happens, we approach him like this. I can't believe I'm such a wreck. I need your forgiveness. I need you, God. He says, lift your head. Look at me. And we look at him, and this is the only right response to him. As we gaze into his eyes, we worship him. Eyes off of me, guilt is gone. I love you. You can't earn my love. I've already done all of this for you. I've sent my son for you. In fact, Jesus then is on the throne. And we look into his eyes, the eyes of love, and we just worship. There's a song that's just striking a chord with me that I've been listening to and listening to. It says, praise is the highway to the throne of God. It isn't knowledge. It isn't trying harder. It's worship where he is center stage. And I am all about him. And I'm undone by his love. And he begins to move the furniture inside of me because his spirit is moving me because of his love that I've received. Where you take center stage. Help me from wherever I am to be where you want me to be. And then lo and behold, we read in Ephesians that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And he's resurrected by the same power that gives him all authority. And he is called to sit at the right hand of God. And seated there is Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Spirit is in me. And Jesus says, come up here too. Be seated with me in the heavenly realms where you cannot see where the throne is. Sit with me here. What? I can't sit. Sit with me here. I am in you. You are in me. Sit with me here. Worship chains into, into a shared authority with Jesus Christ. My life is behind me. He is ordering it. It comes from blurry to focus and order, and he is doing it. And I sit with him. He invites me into a covenant relationship with him to bring order and freedom and authority and clarity. And the word of God comes through me to my family to my grandchildren, to my church, to those around me, and everything becomes clearer and clearer as God's Spirit is bright in me with the union with Jesus Christ by the accomplishment of His death on the cross. My sins were absorbed into Him. My darkness was absorbed by him, buried and taken away. And by resurrection power of the Spirit of God, boom, light replaced darkness. Sit with me now and displace the darkness around you. Bring clarity to those around you. Love with the love with which you've been loved. And help them to see Jesus is their answer to Worship. He's on center stage of my story. He's the author of my story. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to him because of his accomplished victory on the cross. His accomplished victory through his resurrection, the Spirit of God raises him up and gives him all authority. 
So we love him wholeheartedly. We've reduced our core statements to five statements, and they're easy to remember if you put them together with your hand. Please hold up your hand. Now, hold your thumb up. In the universal, maybe it's not universal, in our country's code. All right. This is statement number one. Love God wholeheartedly. We say, yes, I would love to have your life and love inside of me. And once I have your life and love inside of me, your love transforms all the furniture inside of me where the Spirit of God is bubbling up inside of me and my eyes are lifted up from self and looking to you at center stage, I'm off stage. I say, make your story. It's your story now. Write the next page. Write the next chapter. Yes, Jesus, yes. Whatever you say. If your response to Jesus is half-hearted, instead of wholehearted, do this. There is a half-heartedness to so many of us followers still trying to do this through religion. I'm trying, but I'm holding this back. I don't want that furniture removed. That's, uh, that's important to me. Don't take that away. That's half-hearted, and it's saying no to the Lord Jesus Christ who has purchased us with his own blood. Yes means I love God wholeheartedly. Whatever you say goes. Now, we know that loving God wholeheartedly this way, all the other commandments hang from this one. All of our core statements hang from this one as well. And so on the screen is our core statements. Two, so wiggle that one. Do first things first. Three, don't do life alone. Four, save people, serve people. Five, followers say follow me. Let's go through all five of them out loud together. Love God wholeheartedly. Do first things first. Don't do life alone. Save people, serve people. Followers say follow me. These are our five core statements. All of them narrowed through that tiny, huge center of all of history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which unleashes unbounding, limitless love focused into me and blasting out of me where I can do love God wholeheartedly. Do first things first. Don't do life alone. Save people, serve people. Followers say, follow me. So we need to follow and take very seriously Jesus' final command. Here was the situation. He rose from the dead. He had revealed himself for a period of 40 days. At one time, there was 500 witnesses all at once, and then there's a huge crowd of 120 watching him as he rises up before their very eyes. And this is what he said before he rises up before their very eyes. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I talked about what that means, where he is now elevated above all authority on heaven and earth. He's sharing the throne with God the Father. In fact, sharing the throne with God the Father, Son, and Spirit. And then he says, you, come, seated with me now, because I'm giving you authority, my victory, my authority, sit with me here. It's weird for me to think I'm sitting in the heavenlies where I can't see, but that's where I have authority, sitting with Jesus and calling shots in realms I can't see. By the authority of Jesus, it's not my authority, it's his authority. This is huge. 
Then he says, with that authority, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'd like to share with you my one word for 2020. And this is for me, but I want it to be for you. Regardless of which word is for you personally, I want to raise the bar of what it means to follow Jesus for all of us. It's raising the bar to simply say, nothing new, just let's make it clear. Jesus' final command was for all of us who want to be followers of him. Go make disciples. My word is mentor. Mentor. That's my word for 2020. I haven't been being good at this. I've been busy trying to build a church. And Jesus says, you're doing the wrong job. Nowhere in Scripture to tell you to build a church. In Scripture, what do I say? Uh, you're right. You say you will build the church. What are you to do? You're right. I'm to make disciples. If I make disciples, he will build the church. So everyone who's a follower of Jesus needs to think in these terms. I have a mentor and I am a mentor. Because we are those who are mentored to mentor. Mentored by Jesus to mentor others. But Jesus says, don't just go to me without a person. Have a mentor here too. Don't do life alone. Mentor. Every one of us needs to start thinking about who is our mentor and who can we mentor. That's my word. Now, if this is going to be our approach, Jesus is responsible to make clear the rest, which is still a little muddled for me as we're getting more and more crowded. And I'm glad you're in this service. And invite more people. Let's invite a bunch of people to Football Sunday. And you're thinking, I don't like football. This isn't about football. This is about Jesus. We're in a culture where this is a Football Sunday, regardless. This is a nice way to invite somebody that won't be in church. They're going to hear about Jesus from football players. Now that is novel. Invite people to come. Let's fill this place up. Why? Because Jesus loves us and he loves our friend. Which friends will you love enough to invite? Let's pray. Lord God, we are so easily distracted. Things get blurry quick. We come before you and worship again. Looking at you, allowing you to clear up our field of view so that our gaze is through the lens that is you. We bow to you. We look to you. We love you, we worship you, we honor you. And Lord God, if there are people in this room who have never made the shift from trying to please you to simply receiving your love and being transformed by your spirit and inviting you into their lives, would you prompt them right here, right now, to cry out to you, oh God, I need you, I'm a sinner. Would you enter into my life? Would you place your spirit into me? I invite you in. Will you be center stage? I want you to write a good story in me. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Got a prayer team to the right of the stage. Next week, see you at Football Sunday. <laughs>